Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Lecture 5, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. It's God on Earth. So we've been still... Uh, this wonderful series that we've been doing, uh, what if, right? What, what is the message of the New Testament if it only contained Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Extremely, uh, it's a really thought-provoking question. It, it really is. It's a really, really, really super deep thought-provoking question. So I'd like to continue. So we're going to be in Matthew for two more. We, what we're going to do is point five in Matthew, five in Mark, Five and Luke, five and John. Today we'll be in Matthew chapter three. I'll tell you where we'll be in a second, but let's it's not even a review. Let's let's state a few facts. Now we definitely know that the gospel has something to do with Jesus Christ, and or, or every single thing to do with Jesus Christ. This is not uh, up for question. We definitely know we have some sort, if not a great understanding of what the gospel is. I'm posing this question because in truth, somewhere we've gotten lost in what the gospel is. We know it, but we don't know it. We 
we've made, well, I'll get to that in a second, but we, we, we've done something. So we got justification by faith. It's the gospel. Here's the problem. In fact, let me stand up. Here's the problem with that. Because justification by faith is awesome, and it's, it's absolutely textual. It's, it's an exegetical. It is proper. But then you would, you inadvertently force yourself to say, Paul preached the gospel, which is fright. We know Paul preached the gospel. But if you say Paul preached the gospel, you have a, you have a, there's always an other end of the spectrum. So if there's a nighttime, you're also saying there's a daytime, right? You're right. If there's an up, you're also saying there's a down. If, if I tell you don't look down, I'm assuming you're looking up, right? Exactly. So when you say Paul preached the gospel, you have no choice but to say, well, did Jesus preach the gospel, right? And that's where it becomes a problem because if you ask, and which I have, and, and, and many of guys have written books about this, Scott McKnight, um, King Jesus Gospel, uh, N.T. Wright, uh, writes from the new perspective. It's, um, he's one of the world's foremost Paulinian scholars there is. By, by sure, great guy. I've met him. He signed a few of my books. But now you have to ask the question, did Jesus preach the gospel? So depending on what your definition of the gospel is, most, some, a lot of people would tell you, no, Jesus didn't preach the gospel. How can he preach his death, his burial, and his resurrection when the gospel didn't happen to after Jesus is what people would tell you and what people have said. And, I, and I'm not, this isn't, this isn't talking about anybody, but that's it's actually, it's, it's almost insane to believe that Jesus did not preach the gospel, right? It's, 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 uh, it would have to be. So clearly the gospel is more than just what happened after Jesus Christ. So this question forces us to ask, what was that gospel during Jesus Christ? And of course, any pastor, any good Bible student asked the question, well, what was the gospel before Jesus Christ, right? Although we know he was in the beginning before everything. We talking about his, what you was just talking about earlier, his earthly manifestation on planet earth. So the question is a good question. It's an intelligent question. And we're about to get a tad bit controversial today, but it's not, it's, it's not on purpose. It's, we have to attack the question for what it is. So basically, what is the message of the New Testament if it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And we already said justification would have to be thrown out. It, it would have no choice because it's, not, it's, it's Romans, which is, which is Paul's last leg of his ministry. So it's not when he was writing... Is that what he was, when he was working about 35 A.D., 30, you know, 38, depending on what scholars you ask. He's writing a little bit of time. So he's, this isn't the earliest part of his. Most scholars would think Thessalonians is his first book, his first ministry. This is, Paul is, Romans is his last. This is when he's the most maturest that he's ever been, both in Christ and both writing in Christ. So some of the arguments he has in Galatians are expounded upon and developed on in Romans. Matter of fact, you should read Romans and Galatians together because they're basically the same uh, thing, so to speak, and because there's only one gospel. And that's what I'm trying to get across. There's only one gospel. So it gets a bit controversial, but not, not, not for you, not for anybody in this church, because you actually preach the real gospel. 
but it gets controversial because people will tell you, well, there's two Gospels, whether it be an Old Testament message and a New Testament message, and that's, that's wrong. I emphatically disagree with that. And you said this a couple of weeks ago, continuity. But, but you know, what God was doing in one, he was doing, it's the same guy. He didn't make a mistake and switch his message. He didn't start over because he got it wrong. He was doing something then, and now he's doing something now. So it's a, it's, it's a wonderful question. So let's, let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 3, and let's discover what we've done at first. So the, we started off week one, and I'm, it looks like I'm going out of order, and I, and I kind of am, but it's not. I'm kind of going into an order in which we can eat it. Uh, we started off in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you, you stay at Matthew chapter 3. We're going to do 13 through 17, but let me just tell you what we, just a recap. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17. So we start off in Matthew chapter 6, and we say whatever this gospel is, it clearly has something to do with the kingdom of heaven. Clearly. It clearly includes searching after the kingdom of heaven, and everything else will be added unto you. Then we went to the temptation, Matthew 1, 1 through 11, in which clearly there's continuity. Because Jesus is arguing with the devil, not from a New Testament perspective, but from an Old Testament perspective. And then last week, we talked about, hey, come on over here. Last week, we talked about, uh, what did we talk about last week? I can't remember. Um, it was good. It was good. Uh, let's see. Oh, let me pull up my notes. And, and, and we've been having, we're Matthew chapter 3. Um, last week, we went to the genealogy. That's where we went to. Matthew 1 and 1. We went to the genealogy, which is quite important because we proved how Jesus was a fulfillment of the genealogy. Yeah, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Thank you very much. Right Now we're in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. So the first week I proved whatever this gospel is, it's, it's the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, whatever it is, it's the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Secondly, we proved, okay, so the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is defeating Satan with the Old Testament. So clearly there's some continuity going on. Thirdly, we prove that more continuity because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and Davidic covenant. And now I want to talk about 13 through 17. Let's read it, and then I'll tell you what the point is this week. Yes, yes, sir. You, yeah, you feel free to read it. Thank you very much. 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and cometh thou to me. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be now, for this thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Wow. So there's so much there. There's just so much there. We won't make it boring and we won't take all day, but there's so much there. Let's point out a few highlights. John the Baptist, he's there. Right? That's clear. Why is that a big deal? Well, because he's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You can call John the Baptist the last Old Testament prophet who happens to be in the New Testament, right? And I say that it's a play on words, a play on titles, because all the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about the one to come. Does that make sense? Okay. So everybody else after 
uh, Jesus prophesies about the one who did come. Okay, right? So John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's just in the New Testament as, as we know it, right? He, he's clearly, amen, amen for that. So this is a big deal. Because you have this fulfillment of Elias, uh, depending on what translation you have here, this fulfill, fulfill, fulfillment of the, the Elijah the prophet. He, he's this fulfillment of what God, what Malachi said will come. He's this fulfillment of what God has said will happen before what is to happen happens. Now let me throw out a disclaimer. We're going to do five in Matthew, five in Mark, five in the scripture. You don't have to turn. But you know, five in John, five in Luke. But the truth is, I could pull every single verse from every single gospel because they're all preaching the gospel, right? I'm just going to pull out five, but we can pull out every verse because it's one gospel. And so before you walked in, here's what I said. The reason we're doing this is because we've made the gospel, somehow we've made, we, we have arguments like Paul is saying something different than Jesus Christ. We even have arguments to say that Jesus Christ is saying something different. Part. And here's the crazy thing. If you ask someone what the gospel is, they're going to tell you what Paul talks about the gospel. It's true. Paul certainly does. Then they're going to ask you, and there are books written about this. They're going to say, okay, so what does uh, Paul say about Jesus? Okay, great. Then they're going to say, okay, then, so what does Jesus think Paul says? So what does Jesus say about Paul? What, what, no, no. Jesus is the, the Alpha and Omega, right? We don't have to run to anything. Jesus is the authority. It's not that Jesus is saying something. Like, is Jesus preaching a different gospel than John? I mean, than Paul. No, that's a, the question is grossly irresponsible in, in the first place. You, we don't need to ask if Jesus is preaching something different. We need to ask, is anybody else preaching something different? Because Jesus is the litmus test. He is all that is all. But the truth is, they're all preaching the same thing. There's a gospel culture. So here's a controversial statement, and then we'll highlight this stuff. Here's a controversial statement. We're going to have to, I'm going to prove it today, but, but I'm going to continue proving it for the rest of this series, for the next 16, 17 lessons. We have turned the gospel into salvation. I told you it's controversial, but it's textual. We have somehow made the gospel about salvation, when the gospel has been about way more than salvation. In truth, here's, here's the thesis, here's the, the thing up front. In truth, the gospel has nothing to do with the salvation as we preach it. Salvation is a byproduct of the gospel. Salvation is not the gospel. And that's where we've gone wrong. So think about this, but here's what I'm saying and I'll repeat it. I'm saying if I go fasting, if I take a fast, and, and this is controversial because it pushes against what we normally do, I happen to lose weight because I'm fasting. Losing weight was never the goal of my fast. It just happens to be a, by, a byproduct of me fasting. Okay, so I'm saying the same thing about the gospel. Salvation is completely included in the gospel. But salvation is not the gospel. It's a byproduct of the gospel. So think about it this way. For us to say, well, 
if the gospel is, I mean, for the, so the gospel of salvation, this is what we do. We do we make it, the problem is we have too many people making decisions and we're not making enough disciples, mm-hmm. right? So we scare the hell out of you and say, because we're literally trying to scare hell right out of you, right? And we're going, hey, get out right now. Make it, if, you, if you close your eyes, will you, do you die? Will you go to heaven? You know, all this stuff, nothing's wrong with that. But we wind up getting commitment phobe Christians who are watered down and can't help the church whatsoever because we made them make a decision for Jesus to be their savior, but we never made them a disciple for Jesus to be their Lord. And so it becomes a major, major problem because we've made salvation the whole gospel when salvation is a byproduct of the gospel. And that's when it it shifts everything. It's controversial, but if 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 we're reading the text... It is, it is what it is. So, here we go. Yeah, yeah. If we're reading the text, it is what it is. Here's how it hurts. It hurts the church for us to only say salvation is the gospel because what we do is we totally ruin the Old Testament. We don't have a place for it. So, how, if, if that is the case, then what do the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say about salvation? Because clearly their view of salvation is a bit different than our view of salvation, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At no point are the people in the first century waiting for Jesus Christ to come escape them from heaven, I mean, excuse me, from earth to heaven. That's what we do in the 21st century. We're so concerned with escaping this world that we don't do any good in this world because we're waiting for the Lord to snatch us from this world and separate us in heaven, right? This, this is what we're waiting on. And so, and we're, we're definitely going to expound on that next week. Right, but it, it's, it's I would, here's Pastor Temple, here's Pastor Tony, here's, here's Reverend Ray Jew, get, get them out of there and let me say. Now, that's the end, and that's, that's good. However, what about now, right? Right, these guys, because remember, when Jesus said, I'm coming back, They stayed in Jerusalem waiting for Jesus to come back. They never thought the 21st century would happen. They were never, they never said, okay, in fact, even John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. They were like, well, hold on, what you mean we're going somewhere, some mansions? Tell us the way, because we're trying to literally go where you're walking. Let's let's go. Yeah, yeah. They're confused about this language, this, this, this talk, because they're saying, no, son of David. Uh, the Messiah is going to make us kings on earth. We're going to be in our own kingdom on earth. They're not concerned with heaven. They're concerned with earth. So when you mess up what the gospel is, you have this salvation gospel, uh, so, this soterian, or this so, soteriology is the Greek word for salvation. So we have this soterian gospel that means the gospel is salvation, and I'm here to smash up on that right now. It is not. The gospel is a byproduct of salvation. One more thing. So then when we say something like, okay, so when I say salvation is the gospel, that means if I decide that means I can, I can fort God's plans. That means if I decide right now to never preach again, and you decide to never preach again, and you decide to never preach again, and all of the world decides we're not going to follow God, if salvation is the gospel, then therefore God can't fulfill his plans because nobody's speaking about salvation. Now, does that sound like God? Does God sound so weak that if you stop doing what salvation is, then God's plan is thwarted. 
See, so we have this, we're inadvertently saying one thing, but we're, we're accidentally on that other side of the spectrum saying another thing. When we say there's a right, you have to automatically assume there's also a left. So when we say it's only about salvation, we say, so if you take away salvation, you also take away what God's power is. This is why we struggle so much with free will inside of the 21st century, because free will says I have 100 percent of my will and I can thwart God's 100 percent of his will. And, and it doesn't necessarily work like that. Now, at no point am I arguing one saved always be saved. Let's, let's kill that. That's not what I'm arguing, and it's not what I subscribe to, right? But, but what I am saying is we have to be careful what we call the gospel. Because this is why we have so many gospels. We have uh, social gospel. We have, right, that's doing social injustices. We, we know, let's attack police brutality. Let's, let's attack water in Michigan. Let's, let's attack uh, homelessness. And all these things are good. But if you do too much of that, then you, you, you forget to start making people disciples because you're so concerned with the go and make disciples part that you forget to make disciples. You're so, you spend so, many busy, so much time going, you forget to take time and make disciples. It's easy to go. So we throw money at a problem. Oh, this third world country, let's drop some food because our job is the social gospel. Let's go and throw some money at the problem. Let's go and throw some volunteers. Yay, they're saved. Good kumbaya. We're going back home now. But there's no system in place to make them disciples because we don't know what the gospel is. All right. So Matthew 3. So we got John the Baptist. He's there in verse 17. I mean, 13, clearly. So you got John the Baptist here, and everybody's having this wonderful good time. And then so you have all these wonderful things happening. And here is what this part of the gospel is. John the Baptist is meeting Jesus Christ, and he says, listen, I shouldn't baptize you. This, this, you should baptize me. One more. So here we have it to where John is arguably one of the greatest prophets ever walk on earth. And he's walking and meeting the greatest prophet, not just a prophet, but we say in this context, right, the greatest prophet to ever walk. Or John even says it himself, I'm not even worthy enough to lace up his bootstraps, you know, his sandals, right? So you got one great prophet meeting another great prophet, but one in whom he knows is a greater prophet that has ever come. And now you have this two things that scream at you in this text. One is the Jordan River. This is important because you have this Jordan, why, 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 why does God make sure Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River? First off, you got to go backwards a little more. Why is Jesus even being baptized, right? So if, if, if you say the gospel is salvation, you have a very hard problem, a very hard time explaining why Jesus needed to be baptized, Right. If the if the gospel for you is only salvation, you have an incredibly hard time explaining why Jesus needed to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus had no sin. But, but remember, if the gospel is salvation, we're trying to free you of your sins. So why 
is Jesus being baptized, right? This is the hard problem we have to answer. If it's only about salvation, why does Jesus need salvation to give salvation? It totally explodes every bit of that, that problem we're having with this gospel salvation. But when you take as the salvation is a byproduct of what God has already been doing, now Jesus being baptized makes sense. He's son of man. Daniel in the book of Daniel, Daniel says, I see son of man coming upon the clouds, right? I see the son of man coming upon the clouds, and he does some things. We'll, we'll skip that for right now. And Jesus only calls himself son of man. It is other people who call him son of God, but not, not immediately. It's way at the end of the gospel, so much to the point to when Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus Christ has to say, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, because it's such a profound statement. It's such a profound realization that God knows. I mean, Peter understands that he just caught something that he should not have caught. And that verse becomes the hinge point of the gospel in which in Matthew, it becomes the hinge point of that particular text. And we, we, we can talk about that one all day long, but I don't have as much time. So here's the deal. The gospel is a by, I mean, the salvation is a byproduct of the gospel. And the reason we know this is because Jesus was baptized. There's so many things going on. Jesus was baptized, but he didn't need to be baptized. This is important because if you subscribe to salvation as the gospel, then Jesus needed to be saved. That's improper. It makes me uncomfortable to even utter the words. Jesus had no reason to be saved. He was what is saved. He is the capital S of saved. He is what is saved. So him being son of man, which is a, a messianic title, which is also a, represent, a representative of, no, uh, how you say that word I'm looking for, a representation of all of Israel. So Israel became son of man. Israel became man's God's son who is man. Does that make sense? Because Jesus marries them because Jesus is the bridegroom. Right? So you got this language, Jesus, bridegroom. Uh, Israel is the man. Okay. Okay. You get it? Okay. Good. So here's how it works. Jesus is baptized not because he has sins, but because the gospel required him to be all of what Israel is. And we'll cover that next week and when we talk about recapitulation however Jesus doesn't wash away his sins since he's son of man he is the representation of all of Israel's sins being washed away and he's getting ready to move forth so let's get a little bit into this recapitulation the Jordan River remember when the nation of Israel started their exodus the real exodus not just from Egypt but when they got unmessed up, which is not a word, when God finished punishing them and they were going into what God had promised them, they had to cross the Jordan River. So the exodus in the Old Testament is completed when they cross the Jordan River. It begins when they cross the Dead Sea, right? But it... I do that all the time. The Red Sea. <laughs> I do that all the time, right? It, it begins when Moses splits the water, right? We'll say it that way. Everybody get that far, right? It begins there, 
but it's not fulfilled until 40 years afterwards when that, that, uh, that disrespectful, ungrateful generation dies off. And so they end by crossing the Jordan River. Now think about this here because Jesus begins his ministry where? At the baptism, but it's at the Jordan River. And so Jesus does his own exodus, not for Israel this time. He is Israel this time, but he does it for the whole world. So where God did the exodus of the nation of Israel, Jesus does the exodus of the whole world. Where God took them out of physical slavery, Jesus took us out of spiritual slavery. Both began and were just about fulfilled by crossing the Jordan River. It's important. So it's important to understand that this, this, this salvation is just half. No, it's not even half. It's a part of the story of the gospel. Because here's what actually happens. Here's God drawing in these images what I already did, I'm now doing again properly. This is powerful. Not to say I messed up. I called you guys into fulfillment to be human and walk with me and be holy like me. So I became human to be holy with me and holy like me. So everywhere you messed up, I'm rescinding the human who can handle it to do what you didn't do. And we'll cover that next week, right? And so lastly, and so we started off, there's a reason why I started off in Matthew 6 is week one, about whatever this gospel is. It clearly has something to do with the kingdom of heaven, right? Matthew 6, 33. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you, right? And so the reason why I started there, and now I'm going a bit backwards, is because Jesus starts there and goes forward in Matthew 6. He explains in Matthew 6, what he's already been doing in Matthew 3 and below, you know, and, and retrograde backwards and even further than that. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. I flipped it so you can start off with what Jesus said and how it happened. Because here's what you have. Here's what the image of in Matthew, and we get to John. Well, we're probably skipping it, John, so we're covering it in Matthew. But Jesus is, but actually, let's, let's do it this way. Two more things. Baptism represents a new birth. You're alive, you're dead. Okay, this is why Jesus was son of man, because Israel was dead. He took on all of them, and you get dunked into the life source of water. And so you die to yourself, son of man gets baptized, and then when you rise, you rise living. Lord have mercy, that made me feel good, right? So Jesus does the same thing. When Israel rise, Israel is living. So you have this representation of resurrection, death and resurrection in the Jordan, okay? And then you have God the Father in heaven, right? Because remember, the sky opens up. This is according to Matthew. And a dove descends. So you have God on earth being baptized by Man being baptized. This is important, right? Because he didn't, he didn't take it upon himself to do everything himself. He used us and our unworthiness to catapult his worthiness. So you have God in heaven. You have God as a dove. And you have God being baptized. So here you have it. All three entities of God. The Father, 
the Spirit, and the Son, all in the Jordan River. Why? Because in the beginning, God had always been here on earth together. And so when we sin, he, um, some, some things happen. But now God is saying what once was, and you, you created a, I used to have the kingdom of man and the kingdom of heaven together. Sin separated it. So where you separated it, I'm bringing it back together. So where I divided your languages in Genesis chapter 11, I brought back your languages in Acts chapter 2. Right. Everybody was speaking in different tongues, but everybody understood his own. That, yeah, the tone that was going on. So you have God, the father, God, the spirit, God, the son sitting in the Jordan River. And the next thing they do is go into their own wilderness. Like, you know, we'll cover this next week. Right. But here's the deal. This part of the gospel, what Matthew is trying to get people to understand early, is that now God has descended from heaven to live on earth. This is important because this is part of what, it's not the, it's not the totality of the gospel because the gospel is way too long to spit or to talk about it in a few sentences, right? The gospel becomes now to where God has been there, but now he makes an announcement that he's here. On earth, exactly, yeah. I'm here and things are about to change, right? And but not only am I here, I'm here and I'm in man. Amen. And so now the ah, there you go, right? The kingdom of heaven is within you. That's why I started with seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you because I wanted to point out that the kingdom of heaven, everybody's still so concerned with heaven, but God was so concerned with bringing heaven to earth. So the kingdom of God, this part of the gospel. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. I mean, yeah, 13 to 17, I think is where we are. It's about, and it's about simply proving that God is now here in all three parts, not just the Son. He shows himself as the Spirit, and he shows himself as the Father, but he doesn't show himself all at once to the people so they can see in some random place. He shows them, he shows himself in all three in a place in which they will remember God delivered them. So to a first century Jew, to Matthew writing to a first century Jew, and the, his first century Jewish audience would have known, I've heard of the Jordan River. I remember what God done for us at the Jordan River. And God showed himself completely at the Jordan River because in the Old Testament, God revealed himself, at least to Moses, Right. It's completely. God had been on earth working with us. Now God is on earth working for us. Let me pray for you, Lord. We thank you that we are getting a better understanding. I believe we, we, this is like four weeks now. We're, we're starting to get a, a, a better picture. We're, we're starting to see that you didn't just start some stuff over. You, you, you certainly didn't mess up. We messed up. You don't mess up. But we're starting to understand that what you've done is way more than just about salvation. You And, and Paul argues it, and, and we'll give it away in this prayer. Paul argues it the entire time that he's writing. Paul is saying salvation is here 
not because salvation is here. Salvation is here because God is righteous. And the mere fact that God has never, ever lied to us, the mere fact that God has never lied to Israel, the mere fact that God did do what he said he will do, he did fulfill the promises he did fulfill, we must believe in Jesus Christ. And so thank you, God, for letting Matthew show us that this is a fulfillment of the exodus that once was. In Jesus' name, amen. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world. Not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training and I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training and I couldn't find someone, not one person for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people 
to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.